0: This is Steve Kim. Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you speak the language of our culture and address questions raised with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Well, things are certainly different right now with everything that's going on around us. But here at Apologetics Canada, we've been keeping pretty busy. And one of the things that I've been doing recently, I was invited out to this young adults group at McKernan Baptist Church in Edmonton. It just so happens that the young adults pastor there is a good old Bible school friend of mine. And so I got to step in and go through the thinking series. And that was actually received really well. And I made a couple of connections with the young adults there and just helping them sort through some of the questions that they have about faith and life. And Andy, you've been keeping busy yourself. Uh, Is there anything that you want to keep our listeners updated on? Hey,
1: Steve. Yeah, it's been a busy but really exciting time for doing ministry, which I think might surprise our listeners, given that the pandemic is really reshaped how we do ministry and and what it's like doing speaking engagements it's been really incredible that ministry continues and it's exciting to see the different opportunities that God has made available so yeah most recently i've been teaching the the thinking series actually to master students it's a intro it's like an apologetics course i should say that's geared for a masters level and and i've been loving that And then as well, I did an interesting speaking engagement that is the start of a number of of speaking engagements I'm doing across Canada with an accrediting body called ACSI that oversees Christian schools, not just here in Canada, but globally. And so, this last week, I spoke to Christian teachers across British Columbia, and next week I'll be in Alberta, then after that in Manitoba. And then potentially into Saskatchewan. So, we'll see how that all progresses. And it was, yeah, it was an exciting time to be able to engage with teachers. I think that teachers right now in our Christian schools are having an incredible impact and an important role in the life of children. So, quite honestly, Steve, I was pretty honored to have the opportunity to speak to them. I also found it a little intimidating I found myself thinking about the grammatical structure of my sentences and (laughs) (laughs) feeling a little insecure,
0: feeling like I'm being graded, but (laughs) no, it was good, man. It was good. Bring, bring the high school back. Right. (laughs) I I was going to say, you're really putting Canada into apologetics. Canada, man, like BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, like all throughout Western Canada, and you do a fair bit out East as well from time to time. And so that's really encouraging.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, these speaking engagements are all 50 people or less. But, you know, through technology, we're actually able to reach more people these days than we've been able to previously. As,
0: you know, it's getting piped out to people all over the country. All right. Well, these are all really exciting developments and listeners will keep you posted as more things come up. But uh, let's get into things. So Andy and I have been getting some requests on this one particular Documentary that's been making the rounds on social media, ironically, because the documentary that we're going to be talking about today is called The Social Dilemma. And many of our listeners, you probably have heard about this documentary. So, this is basically a documentary about the effects of social media. Uh, And we're hearing about this from the insiders in the tech industry. And uh, how this was created to be used for everyone to stay connected and things like that. But now it's morphing into something rather different. And so my wife and I, we sat down a little while ago to watch it, and I was greatly disturbed. After we watched it, I deleted Pinterest, I turned off all the notifications on Facebook. That sort of thing. So it left quite an impression on me. What about you, Andy? What was your reaction after watching the documentary? Yeah,
1: I've kind of been stewing on this for uh, a while. This was brought to our attention quite a while ago when it first came out. Listeners might be wondering, why are we just talking about it now? And that's because we have to wait for you listeners to actually see it so that this whole thing isn't a spoiler alert. Uh, so I've get, I've been kind of like stewing on this, Steve, for a while waiting to address this issue. I have mixed emotions about the the documentary. My wife was like you. She kind of went into high alert and mainly she worries about our kids and for good reason, but basically wants to take away all, all technology from our children and live an Amish life. But I I don't know, I kind of have more of a balance, I hope, perspective of this. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to discussing this because I think that there's some really helpful insights Mm. in the show. But I actually think that there's some issues with the show as well. And Mm. particularly the way that they go about using a lot of the tactics that they're condemning in the show. Because there's a lot of scare tactics that are are used in it that I don't think are helpful.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so then let's let's start here. Just so our listeners have an idea as to the kinds of people that have been consulted that you see on social media, we have people like Tristan Harris, who was former design ethicist at Google. I didn't even know there was such a position, uh, but apparently there was a design ethicist. And then he's also the co-founder of Center for Humane Technology. And then there's Tim Kendall, who's the former executive at Facebook, former president of Pinterest. And then Aza Raskin, who's former employee of Firefox and Mozilla Labs, co-founder of, again, Center for Humane Technology. A number of these people actually came together to found Center for Humane Technology, I found. And then you have guys like Justin Rosenstein, who's former engineer at Facebook and Google, co-founder of Asana, These are guys that are actually insiders working for these companies that are now being critiqued for the kinds of things that they created. And the alarm bell that they're ringing, for one, is that social media, it was originally conceived of as a way to keep people connected and those kinds of things. But the algorithm that they've created is now taking a life of its own. And now all it wants to do is basically... They're competing for your attention. That's what Tristan Harris says over and over again. Like, there are these different companies now that are all competing for your attention to do what? To make money through the advertisers. In other words, it's the advertisers that are the customers, and then we are the product. So, in this documentary, let's go from here. In this documentary, you follow the story of this fictional family and their life with social media and that's what kind of gives it life so to speak and what you see is there's this young um, high schooler who is deep into social media and the algorithm in things like Facebook and these other social media platforms that are kind of personified in these three characters, and they're all manipulating him. And there's this polygon picture that represents this young high schooler who just kind of like a limp marionette, just turning around as the algorithms manipulate him kind of a thing. So there's the theme of dehumanization in there. I think many people would find that alarming because they would think to themselves that we... Are the customers, but in fact, no. The advertiser, the, uh, uh, are the customers, and you are the product.
1: There's a lot to unpack there, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> the let us let's, let's just start to, to tease this apart because there there's a there's a number of different moving parts here. One of the issues that you that you bring up as you summarize this documentary, and I find quite concerning, is I think that the portrayal of the family is pretty accurate with regards to the depth in which young people and older people alike can be absolutely consumed by their devices such that you know you have this family that are bringing their devices to the dinner table with them and there's this one scene in particular where you know the mom wants all devices to be put away at dinner time and yet, this is a challenge that is, at the end, too much for the the younger kids. Like, they just can't even.
0: In fact, I found it really interesting The the younger sister in the family, she went so far as to just take a hammer to that jar to break it to get her device and just leave the dinner table. Yeah. Right. And I found it really poignant.
1: It is because there's so much truth to it. This is something, Steve, you and I have dealt with for years in the classroom. Uh, mm, I, yeah. As a professor, I refuse to teach a class with students that have devices. So as you know, because you and I have done a lot of team teaching together, we always have students put their devices away. I often don't even let students use their computer in my class and absolutely no phones in the classes I teach because students cannot police themselves. I mean, Steve, you've seen it. It's just ridiculous. As soon as that phone vibrates or pings, it's like Pavlov's dog. They can't help themselves, and they find themselves reaching their hand in their pocket and pulling out their
0: phone. That's one of the themes from the documentary that uh, because all these tech companies are vying for your attention, uh, what they have to do is employ psychology it's not just as benign as distracting you with say puppy videos and things like that which i do love by the way steve Um, no you're (laughs) You're one of those steve yeah i watch uh military surprise homecoming videos and puppy videos those are (laughs) those are my guilty pleasures (laughs) Um,
1: i don't i uh, I don't even know what to say about that Can, can i just take a moment
0: to process that (laughs) all right i'm ready to move on it's not just as benign as these kind of puppy videos but because in the documentary one of the things that they show you is these algorithms they want to get your attention with whatever the algorithm quote-unquote knows that you're attracted to right so then they will i mean it's it's out it's an algorithm it's not like it actually knows it but All that it does is, well, you've interacted a lot with this one particular person before, so that's what we're going to bring up to get your attention. So in the documentary, you see the young high schooler who takes on this challenge to go, I think, for about a week without using any devices. And it's like day two, day three, and the algorithm uh, as personified in these three figures or whatever, they're freaking out, something's wrong, something's wrong. And so in order to get his attention, they start bringing up notifications that have to do with his ex-girlfriend because, you know, again, the algorithm quote unquote knows that that's, what's going to grab his attention. So there, it can turn pretty sinister. You can appreciate
1: with what you're saying, Steve, of algorithms that are designed to keep you online or designed to show you ads have as a component of that, an addiction factor at play. And businesses have lost sight of the user. And this is something that's brought up in the film. You know, there's only two industries that use that sort of terminology. And what what was it? Drug dealers and social media companies. Something some to that effect, right? That we have been reduced to a commodity to these companies. And thus you see this idea of, you know, the Center for Humane Technology. Like, let's don't lose the humanity of this individual. And I think it's interesting, by the way, first of all, that this isn't a new thing. People have been using these sorts of techniques for a long time. Uh, I think of like the gambling industry, for example. These have been a staple of the gambling industry. I think one of the big differences, and this is something that comes out in the film, is that gambling is regulated, And this is one of the problems that we have with social media, is it's using a lot of these manipulative tactics, yet doing so unregulated. And now, listeners, before we continue, a message from our very
0: own Steve Kim. Are you in a small group reading Andy's book, Reclaimed, together? You might be interested to know that there is a digital study guide available for download. You can use this free resource as a discussion guide in your community group or book club. Download your copy today at reclaimedbook.info. Again, the free digital study guide is available at reclaimedbook.info.
1: And now back to our podcast. Now, now Steve, I want to play the devil's advocate a little bit here because I do sometimes think that we demonize the internet or we demonize social media or we demonize advertising And I feel like we've forgotten that these things have all been a part of our society for a long time. For example, there once was a day when I would get home from work and the first thing I would do was to go check the answering machine to see who called. Or there once was a day when I would watch TV and my TV show would get interrupted with a two and a half minute commercial.
0: I think you're right that this isn't anything new When we talk about technology, and and we've done this before, where when we talk about human enhancement, for example, and how genetic engineering and cybernetics, uh, using these technologies, we're going to basically erase ourselves out of our species, those kinds of things, and all the dangers that come with it. Uh, We often point out technology itself isn't the problem because this has been around for a long time. As we speak right now over the internet using this platform with a microphone and everything, this is all enhancement. This is an enhancement in communication. I'm wearing glasses, I'm wearing a hat, I'm wearing clothes. These are all enhancements. I remember seeing one image from, I think it was like back in the 50s and 60s or something like that. I remember it being a black and white picture Because people were talking about how social media and these kinds of technologies are really separating people, alienating people. And there's some truth to that. But again, it's not like this hasn't been around because in this photo, what you see is a bunch of men sitting on the bus, each with his own newspaper. And that's all they're reading is just the newspaper. They're not talking to each other or anything like that. And so what we have is sort of, more of the same in a sense, I think. Yeah, because think about that, Steve. Let's
1: just take a moment to zoom in on that. There once was a day we used to read the newspaper or watch the news on TV. We don't do that anymore. I can't even tell you the last time I watched the news on TV or that I read news from a newspaper. So here's my point. And this is where I think some sort of balance has to be struck. How am I supposed to know what new products are out there? If you think about it, There are very few ways to advertise these days. I know this might sound weird to listeners that I'd even be advocating for this, but I think that there's just a practicality at some regards to advertising. And in fact, I actually like being advertised to at some level because I want to know
0: what's what's out there. there. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, one memory that I have of living in Korea is going to these uh, markets, like traditional markets or whatever. And so this is like a market district just lined with different shops. And people typically have their stuff out in front of their shops. And you know what everybody's doing? Everybody's yelling. Hey, come look at my stuff, right? Everybody, all the merchants are competing for your attention by yelling. And we've got 50% off here. Buy one, get one free, those kinds of things. And when people typically think about that, they don't think about it as advertising, but it is, Yeah, right? Because we think advertising as in like printed on a newspaper or or something you see during commercials on TV or those really annoying banner ads that you get when you're playing a game on your phone or something along those lines. But really, this is just a different form of the same thing. They're vying for your attention. It's interesting to me
1: how annoyed people get over ads on Facebook but I'm like man that's the way that the world goes around that's the way that things have have always worked and ads are the reason why Facebook is free or or YouTube or whatever like that's that's the way that they work and in some ways when they're working properly it can be really nice in that if there are certain things that you like or that you're interested in maybe it's Christian music or whatever. And then they can let you know when some new song or maybe you like a specific, like for mm. example, me, there's different artists that I really enjoy. And when they're coming to concert, I would like to know that. Yeah. Well, then that becomes actually quite helpful. But but here's the problem, though. And I think that we've got to, so I kind of want that's where I was saying I wanted to take more of a balanced perspective here. Because I, I kind of want to say, hey, listen, I think social media can do some good stuff here.
0: Yeah.
1: The problem is. And I think the film does a really good job of highlighting the social media can do some really negative
0: things as well. One of the things they point out is the polarization politically, right? And I thought they did a really good job of actually um, not being partisan on this. If you noticed, uh, they were trying to portray an extreme political group. And so then they did extreme center instead of extreme right or extreme left. And I think that was very intentional because they probably didn't want to alienate any viewers. And I thought that was actually a smart move. But um, either way, what what you have is these people, again, because of algorithms are set up so that it's going to bring to you what you are interested in. They want to show you more of. And so once you start, for example, you know looking into conspiracy theories, That's all you're going to get because that's what you're interested in. That's what the algorithm wants to do in order to keep you engaged online. This is referred to as confirmation bias.
1: What you begin to see is whatever your bias is, whatever your bent is, it just gets confirmed as you begin to see more
0: and more of the same thing. Yeah. And so I find that – around the internet, because I have friends that are, for example, politically very much aligned with me and those who are vehemently opposed to what I believe politically and theologically, those kinds of things. And I do that in a sense, very intentionally, because I want to be able to kind of see what they're saying, what kinds of things they're sharing. I mean, that's not perfect, but it's better than nothing, I thought, right? And what I find that is on both sides, people often say this sort of thing well, I can't believe that the other side believes X, Y, and Z. Are they stupid? Like, this is just common sense. Like, how could they not know this? Well, it's entirely possible that they don't know this because that's just not what they see because of the algorithm. And so what I've been in the habit of doing these days is I try to refrain from saying, well, I can't believe so-and-so believes this or that, right? So... Uh, For those of you listeners who have been listening to our podcast for a long time, you know that I take a very strong anti-abortion stance. Because I've studied this issue for some time, the temptation for me is to say, well, I can't believe all these pro-choicers believe X, Y, and Z. But what I've come to realize is that, I mean, in a sense, it's not surprising that my friends who are pro-choice believe as they do, given their presuppositions. And once I see that natural connection, yeah, if you think it's just a clump of cells and nothing more, then you're not going to have any problems. And so I try to kind of keep that in mind when I engage on social media, when I run into people that I really strongly disagree with, I try to think of, okay, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing and vice versa? And so in all of that, what I've also found is that, Um, we have very little grace for one another online, where even the smallest mistakes will be lashed onto and criticized. And it's not even in the spirit of, hey, I want to help correct you so that you can do this better, but it's more like you're an idiot.
1: Well, I think this is something actually that you might really resonate with at some level though, Steve, with regards to what we're seeing online is we have seen a shift in North America, but I, th- I think we're seeing this globally, a shift, at, l- at least particularly here in North America, towards a shame-based culture. And I think that the internet has really latched onto this, and it's concerning because the point being, though, to with regards to what you're saying, Steve, is there is no forgiveness in this. That's how a shame-based culture works. But what we're finding, though, Steve, and and that I would argue is that this has gone beyond just algorithms. This is also about political agendas. This is also, uh, you know, about people's ideologies, or at least companies' ideologies, or back to the shame-based culture, whatever the culture says is, you know, the right thing. And, you know, it's not just individuals being shamed, it's companies being shamed, Right. And so those companies don't want to be shamed and they want to tow the political line, if you will. Why are they doing that? Are they doing that because they think it's right? No, they're doing that because they want to sell more product and they don't want you to not buy their product because they're not towing whatever that social line
0: is. All of what you're saying here, really, to me, see, I I look at social media a lot like a mirror, like when I consider social media, it's more a reflection of who we are, I think. Because these algorithms really, it's blind. It's just doing what it's been programmed to do, which is to keep your attention. But it is us who, including myself, right? Like we lack sort of the intellectual virtue to listen to the other side with patience. And but, But Steve, help me understand
1: this one, though. Because this is the part, though, that doesn't make sense to me. And, and I go, this seems like more than an algorithm issue. So, for example, uh, I, we live in Canada. I'm originally from the United States. All my family lives in the U.S. And and they live in different parts of the U.S. And then I have a lot of friends from the U.S. And I am continually amazed that the news that I receive in Canada does not accurately reflect what is actually happening in the United States, often I will pick up the phone and have a conversation with my mom, my sister, or I'll be down in the U.S. talking with a friend or an uncle or whatever. And it is a completely different narrative. And I think those of us who have participated in this long enough, those of us who have lived in Canada long enough, this might be a surprise for you U.S. listeners. We've been pretty aware of this for a while. We have a very slanted news that comes here to Canada. It is politically slanted. And that's one of those things that just doesn't make any sense to me, Steve. I just don't understand why over these last five years particularly for me, have I noticed this so intensely? Like, is, is that
0: algorithms doing that? This is not just a single cause kind of an issue, right? Any social issue it tends to have different causes all working together. And so on the one hand, you have the algorithm just showing you what you want to see. On the other hand, you have the media who's sort of the gatekeeper of our information, you know, and the people that work for these media groups, they bring their ideology to the table. In a culture where we've kind of lost the mooring of objective truth, and it's all about sort of the marketability of news rather than the truth of it. And so when you put all of these th- things together, that's why I was saying earlier that this, the social media is more like a mirror to me because it is everything that we're doing outside of social media that we're bringing to it now. And the, and social media just makes it 10 times worse, I think. Maybe this is a good place for us to just kind of venture
1: into this final aspect where what's happening online isn't staying online. That the way that, uh, that we see one another affects the way that we treat one another. And social media is an indication that we are not seeing each other correctly. And it has the this way of dividing our society. And this is something that comes up in the documentary. This is something that in my book, Reclaimed, I talk quite a bit about. And so it was kind of funny for me watching Social Dilemma because a lot of what I talk about in the book is talked about in the documentary. One of the things, in particular, that I bring up in the book is the dehumanization of the Rohingya people in Myanmar that has led to genocide. It was interesting because a couple of years ago we had George Yancey come up and participate in one of our Apologetics Canada conferences. He's a sociologist from Baylor University, and he and I, on the way to the airport, were having a debate about whether what happens online stays online with what happens on social media does it actually have real world impact on the way that people live the way that people treat one another i should say and by the time we got to the airport he said he was uh, 90% convinced <laughs> of my of my argument it was pretty funny <laughs> as we drove it went from like 70 80 you know and by the airport uh, i got i got to 90 <laughs> George was one of the people who read my book and and wrote an endorsement for it, which I greatly appreciate and and really value the work that he does. Especially
0: because, sorry, especially because he's a very careful person, like academically, he's very responsible, I found. So if he gives you an endorsement, I think that says something about your work. Well, and it's interesting because then recently he wrote a post where
1: he cites the book. And and I had I, I, I think I've now brought him over to a hundred percent or at least ninety-nine, <laughs> you know, that this actually affects the way you see each other online can affect the way you treat each other offline. And in particular, when we think about genocide. And I, I think that this is significant. Again, this isn't new. We've been dehumanizing each other and creating camps for a long time the nazis used posters the hutu used radio and it just so happens that in myanmar they used facebook and that facebook was confirmed to be the agent if you will of dehumanization but it didn't stay just in facebook in the you know the way that the rohingya the muslim people of of myanmar were being seen but ultimately treated that led
0: to rape, murder, and torture. Uh, Just to be careful here, we're not saying that it it was Facebook's fault, but Facebook was used in order to promote hatred, and it didn't just stay online. That's right. That's like saying it wasn't a poster's fault that the Jews were gassed
1: to death or that it was the radio's fault that the Hutu murdered the Tutsis. It's not Facebook's fault. Facebook doesn't commit genocide. People do. It's the people that are, that are using these technologies. You know, I think this is an interesting point that comes out in the, in the documentary. Where do you place the blame? Is the blame on the social media company or is the blame on the user? Uh, I think at some level it's probably both because this is more complicated than a radio. A radio doesn't employ AI algorithms. I think that there is responsibility on both sides, but ultimately genocide is committed by people. Here's the thing though that gets me concerned, Steve, is that this isn't just something that's happening in Myanmar. This is something that's happening right down the street. So not that long ago, here on this podcast, we did a show. And by the way, I would encourage you, if you haven't seen the video that we created We'll put it in the show notes. You can check it out on Apologize Canada's YouTube channel. It's even on our website. At any rate, you and I did a show where we interviewed a transgender uh, man uh, who identifies as male. We had a show with him talking about a new resource that was being made available to schools. It wasn't like this is is a school resource. It's just available. And we had heard that Within the LGBTQ community, there wasn't agreement on this resource. So we wanted to interview somebody in opposition to it that's in that community to know why they were opposed to it. That show ended up getting me, with regards to the whole cancel culture, right, didn't fit in the cultural narrative. So I ultimately got shamed online for interviewing this individual. I don't know how you escaped that shame, Steve, but you did. Um, I actually wasn't on that show. Oh, you he, weren't on that it show. It was you and on
0: Terry. <laughs> it was just me and Terry. I dodged the, I the bulls- bullet there.
1: <laughs> and so I then was, was shamed for listening to this guy. And ultimately, I was reduced to the stereotypes that people wanted to reduce me to and referred to as a bigot, a fanatic, a brainwasher, and the like. This is the power of social media, though, that I think we've got to be aware of. It only took 15, 20 minutes for me to be uninvited from speaking
0: at this school. Yeah, that was really surprising because to give a little more context to our listeners, you were invited. You had been invited to speak at a local high school, about dehumanization Oh, that's the irony you know. of the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah the, the,
1: In British Columbia, genocide studies is now a mandatory study That grade 12s need to do Now that only deals with dehumanization So they wanted different religions to come And to make a positive case for humanization
0: Right And so you were invited You have been cleared by the school and the parents Everything, you were ready to go but then this podcast episode comes out. Within 15 minutes, I was surprised how quickly you got disinvited. In 15 minutes, you got disinvited. But this was what was really interesting to me. And I think this says a lot about how we can overcome or at least mitigate some of the negative, harmful effects of social media. Is You actually got invited back, not officially by the school, but by the students who got upset at the fact that this Christian speaker, and of course, it's the Christian speaker who got disinvited. We're so sorry this happened to you. We want to hear from you. So they arranged a meeting where you went and spoke on this. And then one of the things that you mentioned in the video that I find really fascinating was the students after, you know, having pizza with you, talking to you about your research and things like that, they couldn't believe that you got disinvited. This is not an unsafe individual like they were made to believe. Well, and yeah, because there's more than just being uninvited.
1: I was labeled by the school as unsafe. And that's the part that's just staggering to me. The school did nothing to look into whether or not these were actually true accusations that were being made against me. They were just afraid And the shame, right? They didn't want any shame on them. So in our culture today, then you do whatever you can quickly to get rid of that shame, which by the way, this is the part that also I found disturbing, is that I could even sense among some of my friends that they weren't sure how closely to associate with me after that shaming because they didn't want to get any shame on them. I mean, that I had been uninvited from you know, a high school and that I was in the community, you know, had this cloud of shame hanging over me. I mean, that's the irony of this, that I couldn't even listen to somebody on the other side. At any rate, the point in all that being what happens then is you get this division that begins to take root. What we're seeing in our culture today is an outworking of the culture wars to such a degree that you have in this documentary the worry of civil war like where is this all going to lead as we become so fractured and divided and as as one side demonizes the other side the other thing too that i think that uh, becomes concern is when you look historically it was always there was always something that ignited the violence you know with regards to the hutun tutsis it was the death of their president in a plane crash that ignited the violence. You could see something like that happening in the United States. If Trump died in a particular way, uh, you absolutely could see that even already in the U.S. that leading to violence. But you can imagine then now if you get to a place where you can see who's on what side of a political division and you have an ignition of some sort like that, you've got a recipe for violence.
0: That's why we need to spend a lot more time with each other in an incarnational way, right? And not just on social media. Because one of the things that social media does is it gives you some level of anonymity. And because you are not with each other flesh and blood, you tend to sort of get desensitized to the fact that you are dealing with other people, those kinds of things. And that's why I brought up earlier you know your interaction with the high school students because you actually spent time with them they got to spend time with you and they got to see you for well you with all of your you know flaws and imperfections and quirks and all of those kinds of things that's
1: actually a really good point steve if i could just bring this up quickly there was a handful of students that came they came purely out of interest because they they wanted to know why i was unsafe it was the unsafe part that was of interest to them Not that they came for, you know, some sort of moral reasons like, you know, we're going to still listen to him even so the school says they can't. It was more of like, oh, I wonder why this guy is unsafe and almost kind of a curiosity there. Right. Such that when they meet me and they see who I am, they're like, what on earth just happened? Mm -hmm. I had a number of them come up to me and say, why on earth were you called unsafe? And you could tell this had quite an impact on them going, man, I just got duped by culture hard. And this is the problem with cancel culture, isn't it? You know, it's only cancel culture as just a couple steps removed from genocide.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mentioned this once before, I think, on our podcast, but I remember sitting in intro to conflict resolution class in Bible school. And one of the things that the prof told us was, if you're having a, conflict with somebody else one of the best ways to resolve this conflict is to actually spend time together the rule is don't talk about anything that's controversial between you two but spend time together go fishing play video games together have dinner together just talk about random things talk about sports talk about the weather whatever it is right and after you spent several days doing that now it's a lot easier for you to start talking about controversial issues without actually, because now you're seeing that person's humanity. It's a lot harder to dehumanize that person when that particular controversial issue comes up. And so I think I'm a big fan of if somebody wants to meet with me online, if I can, I say, can we meet in person? Like if I say have a pastoral visit of some sort, uh, if I at all can, I'll be like, I'd rather meet in person first. And this is something that you and I learned long ago in the work that we do
1: is I want to hear from other sides. I I don't want to just be stuck in an echo chamber, and I I don't want to just be talking with people who hold my worldview, but be talking to a variety of different people, hearing from a, a variety of different voices, which requires a level of humility, It requires a level of willingness to listen, a willingness to even admit that you might be wrong, and engaging with another person's humanity that allows you to actually have conversations with one another.
0: Yeah. Well, this might be a good place to wrap up this conversation. Thank you for joining us, listeners, and thank you for bringing all of these things to our attention. We often hear from our listeners you know hey could you address this could you address that we do enjoy hearing from you guys and so don't hesitate to send things our way even though we can't guarantee that we'll be able to address it or even address it quickly but uh, we do listen to you guys and so thank you for joining us the ac podcast is a ministry of apologetics canada and we'll come back next week with more stuff to think about until then stay off of social media (laughs) Thank <laughs>